Welcome, everybody, to the season one finale of Unleashed, the fastest hour on the internet, I promise, where we're bringing world-class thought leaders live to your living rooms and home offices every Thursday, just like we've been doing through the whole pandemic. I'm your host, of course, Jeff Tetz. I'm the CEO of Results. And at Results, we believe the biggest challenge for businesses is execution. Our team helps leaders execute better to dramatically change their results. Staff, uh, staff that care, teams that deliver, clients who love and refer you, that's what we all want. And that's also what this show Unleashed is all about. We just wanna provide you with tools and ideas from interesting people that you can apply to your life and into your leadership capabilities immediately. And thank you so much to everyone that is joining us today and that has joined us throughout season one. This show is really designed for anybody that has a growth mindset, no matter what position that you hold, what you do for a living or where you live, this is for you. And we're gonna try something uh, that I hope is gonna be fun today. And uh, I came across a really interesting video that inspired me earlier in the week. And of all things, it was an acceptance speech that Mr. Rogers gave at the Emmys in the early 80s. And during his acceptance speech, he's holding his Emmy in one hand and the microphone in the other. And he asks a room, an auditorium filled with celebrities to pause for 20 seconds and just think about the people that made a difference in their lives. And it's a really, really compelling, heartfelt, touching video. And so what we're going to do today is we're, we're giving away copies of Tim Arnold's book, of course, The Power of Healthy Tension. And what we're gonna do is for anybody that goes on social media and recognizes somebody that has made a difference in their own personal life, using the hashtag results unleashed, you're gonna get an entry form into the draw to win a copy of Tim's book. So uh, we'll see how we go there. Uh, we'll get all those recognitions going. And uh, regardless of the book draw and the giveaway, you'll have a chance to really make a, a heartfelt difference in somebody's life right now that made a difference in yours. So get those uh, recognitions and those, uh, and those posts going when the show is over. And also when the show is over, make sure that uh, you give us some feedback. So click the leave meaning button and then click the continue button, which takes you right to the survey. And throughout the show, as questions come up with and when inevitably they do, please enter them into the Q&A box. And I'm gonna get to as many of your questions for Tim Arnold as I possibly can. If you have other feedback, other, other thoughts, uh, other comments to share with us, you can email us anytime at info at unleashresults.com. And then with summer on the horizon, it might be a good time to get trained up. And we've got a couple of workshops today, and I'll talk about those more at the end of the show. So Tim Arnold is graciously uh, offering up some of his workshop time to dive deeper into his unbelievable topic. And Results is also offering a Leader's Toolkit four-part series. You might want to check that out. Now on with today's show. So I am delighted to be joined by special guest Tim Arnold. And I think this is a topic that is absolutely going to blow your mind uh, as it did uh, for mine. Now, Tim Arnold has spent over two decades helping organizations unite teams, spark change, and get unstuck with clients that include the United Nations, Citibank, KPMG, Toyota, Siemens, and others. Drawing on his experiences launching successful businesses, social enterprises, and community development programs, Tim brings a real-world perspective to his clients. He has advanced degrees in both business and social justice. That's interesting. And he's able to help organizations pursue both pro, uh, profit and purpose. Not easy to put together sometimes. Uh, Arnold is uh, also the author of a best-selling book, The 
power of healthy tension, which we're giving away today, overcoming chronic issues and conflicting values. And beyond leadership and team development, Tim is an, is an avid outdoorsman, world traveler, and a uh, self-proclaimed really bad hockey player. His biggest accomplishments are being dad to Declan and Avril, and of course, husband to Becky. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here. So I, I think that this episode is really going to be a paradigm shift for people. Now, the, this notion of healthy tension is not something I'd heard before. And, and our event coordinator and social media manager, Anne, uh, made me aware of you and what your topic was. And she just couldn't stop talking about it after she saw you speak, I think, in Calgary. And uh, as I dove into it, it just made so much sense. And I thought, geez, why have I not seen this before? And you know, so many things seem to be polarizing these days, right or wrong, yes or no, you know, whether it be politics, religion, diet and nutrition, even, you know, we seem to have this tendency to dig our heels into one side or the other. And we can't really find redeeming qualities about people or ideas who don't fit the side that we choose. So you either love or you hate, you support or you denounce a political leader, for example, and there's sort of this culture cancel culture that we've created. And uh, I think even on a smaller scale, I was telling you before that on uh, just this pr previous Saturday, I think I may have experienced what you mean by healthy tension. A good friend of mine uh, wanted to get together for a walk and a picnic. And on Saturdays, I have a bit of a personal routine that I go through and I don't like anyone or anything to interfere with that routine unless it's inclement weather. And I was, so I was really torn between wanting to stick to my routine and my structure but then also being free spirited and spontaneous. So Tim, can you, can you share with us, first of all, is what I experienced an example of what, what you talk about? And then can you, on a, on a larger scale, can you just share the concept of what healthy tension is? Sure, I, I do think it's what I'm talking about. I think that you were having to deal with both flexibility and structure, which every leader deals with every day. Uh, more on a personal level, I think you were having to manage the tension of kind of taking care of others, but also not neglecting to take care of yourself. So there's a lot of tensions that you're managing. You may not have heard of this concept, healthy tension. Yeah. You know it though, you live this every day. And if you're in a leadership space, uh, it's something that you experience constantly. Probably the best way for me to explain uh, is to start by explaining what we're not talking about. What we're not talking about today is the idea of problem solving. You know, research would suggest in North America, leaders solve two to 300 problems a day. And you wouldn't get very far in the day without being able to do that. You know, problem solving is when you're dealing with a challenge and there's generally a right or a wrong answer, or maybe a lot of options, but there's a best answer. You can choose that answer and you're done. And we're conditioned to be problem solvers our entire life. You know, before we can walk or talk, you know, our, 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 we're brought home from the hospital and we're taught what's safe and unsafe. You know, so we learn that. Well, then we move on a little bit and uh, we're quickly taught in school that for most, most questions, there's a correct and an incorrect answer. And if I get the correct answer, I may get the gold star. But if I get the wrong answer, you know, I might get that dreaded red or that, that horrible X, right? Well, then in our teenage years, our, our families, our communities, really work on morals and values. And we're taught that in life, there's good and bad paths. And if I can just take the right path, I'm a good person. Yeah. So what happens is we enter the workplace and if we choose the path of leadership, whether we've thought about it or not, we pretty much live with the worldview that for every challenge that comes my way, 
If I can just choose the right answer, I'm done. I'm safe, I'm correct, and I'm a good person. Right. And I want to be clear, problem solving is critical. As I said, you wouldn't make it to lunch today if you weren't able to hold on to that skill set. I'm also going to say with quite a bit of confidence, it's incomplete. There's a whole other level of leadership, of team effectiveness, of organizational effectiveness that goes beyond problem solving and, and ultimately gets into our conversation today when we have to learn to wrestle with tensions that aren't going away, you know, tensions to manage. And you know, problem solving takes what's called either or thinking. It's this or it's this. It's good or it's bad. It's right or it's wrong. Tensions are actually right and right. It takes what's called both and thinking. Yeah. And I mean, there's lots of research and literature uh, around this. Sometimes they're referred to as paradoxes, dilemmas, polarities, wicked problems. Call it what you want, but they're ongoing issues that you face. They're not going to go away, but the real kind of mark of your effectiveness as a leader or your organization is can we allow that tension to be healthy or is it going to be something that constantly is chronic in my leadership or in our organization? Is it possible that we embrace what I call healthy tension? And Jeff, you and I chatted a little bit before the call today. I've done quite a bit of research on this in a lot of different countries. Most people assume tension is a bad thing. You know, to the point I've, I've literally said, I say tension, you think what? And I've got long lists of words like headache and shoulder pain and conflict and, you know, toxic, all of which could be true. But what I want our group today to just open their minds to is that there's a whole other side to tension that may just be the very thing that's holding you back in your leadership. Yeah. Instead of what most people do, which is to avoid tension or ignore it, the most effective thing you can do as a leader is the opposite, embrace it and recognize this can be the best thing for me and for our organization. Yeah. And, and Tim, I, I might, I might be getting ahead of ourselves here in the conversation, but how do you know the difference between when it's a, a problem to solve a decision to make or, and versus attention to embrace? Sure. Well, there's lots of criteria, but I'll give you some real simple ones. Yeah. If it's a problem to solve, you can come up with either the right answer or the best answer and you're done. You walk away, maybe you can look back and say, hey, I maybe could have come up with a better answer, but you've, you've solved it, you can move on. Tensions are ongoing. You know, I'd almost have you think of breathing. You know, I can't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I think it's an inhale day today. I can, it just won't last very long. You know, the only effective thing that I can do to really embrace life is to learn to hold that inhaling and exhaling intention. It's ongoing. It's not going away. And for some people, including myself, I have an undergrad in accounting. I like right answers. I like being done with things. Yeah. But tensions you got to get comfortable with. Now, you, you often also can recognize attention because, you know, in my book, I say they're often chronic in that, you know, you're in a team meeting, whether you're in a boardroom or a Zoom room, and someone says something and in the back of your mind, you're like, are we actually talking about this again? You know, it's one of those things that it just feels like it's ongoing, which is a, a really good indicator. You know what? There's probably a good reason that we are talking about this because this is a foundational tension for us to manage well. And again, rather than ignoring it or, you know, assuming we're doing something wrong, let's lean into it. Yeah. You, uh, now, you've got a surfing story, I think, that, that really highlights and illustrates what, how this works in, in, uh, in real life. Why don't you share that with us? Absolutely. Well, this is going back a number of years, but 
when I was really starting to dig into this research and, and it was really, you know, kind of taking up a lot of my thought and, and, uh, and work, I, I, 10 years after my undergrad, my university dorm mates, we reunited in Southern California for a week of surf school. So we were convinced and, and we were guaranteed that at the end of the week, we'd all be surfing. Um, the picture of what that looked like was very different than what I anticipated. It was a great week though. What was fascinating was that the very first morning of surf school, our instructor wouldn't let us go in the water until we answered a question. And he, he had us stand right at the shore. He said, okay, you know how this works, right? He looked out into the ocean. He said, you're going to go against the waves, you know, until you find a good one. And then you're going to ride it in. Of course, we're nodding our head. And it's like, but here's the question. If the waves generally are always bringing water into shore, how does the water get back out? And, you know, we all looked at each other and he goes like, again, think about it. He says, if the waves, if your, your gut tells you the waves bring water in, where does it go? And long story short, what he was trying to get us to recognize is this concept of a riptide or a rip current. And, you know, I had heard of it. I just didn't really know what it was. And what I learned was, you know, conventional wisdom or your gut says, yeah, waves bring water in. But what I wasn't aware of was that that water generally formed and eddied along the shore. It formed this river called a riptide that flowed perpendicular to shore right out into the ocean. Yeah. And, you know, he, he said, the reason we're telling you this, and it happened to me once, it was just like he explained. He says, if you go into a riptide, it's going to go into everything you're familiar with. And, and, you know, I remember once I was paddling out, I lifted my head. I was three times further out than I thought I would be. And everything he said came true to me. He goes, everything in you is going to want to just paddle like heck to shore. But he said, don't do it because you can't beat a riptide. And in fact, the harder you paddle towards where you want to go, the further you're going to go in the opposite direction. So, you know, my goal that week was avoid riptides, avoid riptides. Well, what I noticed though, as day two and day three approached, is that every morning the legit surfers, the real surfers, they'd show up and they'd study the water as well. But unlike me, they weren't looking for the riptides to avoid them. They were looking at the riptides to ride them out. You know, they took something that I feared and they leveraged it to their advantage. You know, they would take a riptide, ride it out, be on their fourth or fifth wave by the time I was on my first. And like the big idea that I, 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 talk about a little bit more in the book is, you know, as leaders, we're dealing with kind of two realities or two undercurrents as well. As I said earlier, we have to solve problems every day, hundreds of times a day. And in some ways, those are like the waves that come in. We get it. We know how they look. We know how they feel. And as a result, it's our gut, right? Well, there's also this other undercurrent that we're going to spend a bit more time digging into. And that's these tensions to manage. And they're different. If I'm dealing with the tension. I have to have different types of conversations. I have to think about the challenge differently. And unfortunately, because it's not what I'm used to, most leaders avoid them at all costs. You yeah, know, they absolutely. just try to avoid them. What's interesting, and there's just so much evidence and research to back this up, like the surfers, you know, the, the leaders in the organizations that outperform and enjoy life way more are the ones that learn to leverage them. To yeah. say, hey, we're going to keep solving problems every day, and we're also going to tap into some of this power that comes from tension management. And, yeah. you know, as I said, you may not even know that term, but you're already dealing with them. The question is, are you tapping into what they can offer?
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the surfing uh, analogy is so appropriate. I think most of us have seen that quote that, you know, you can't control the waves, but you have to learn how to surf. And, and that's uh, what we've been having to do uh, collectively now for, for, for at least four months. Um, so before we, before we move on, I know you have a four step, uh, a four step system that you have developed and a framework, but uh, my most important question is, did you actually get the courage up to ride a riptide? <laughs> so I was in a riptide and uh, I experienced the downside by the end of the week I wasn't that brave I was uh and I I I, I it's still got to be something I work towards but yeah it sounds uh it sounds absolutely terrifying uh so, and, and as we're, so as we're moving into uh in, into your four-step framework Tim how did you discover this in the first place because it's just something I had never come across this before and I like to think of myself as a fairly aware avid reader and I had never come across this before. How did you discover this? Oh, it's interesting. I, I mean, first of all, I was raised very much uh, not with this kind of worldview. I was raised pretty binary, very kind of um, either or black or white, pretty fundamentalist family upbringing, great upbringing, but very it's right or it's wrong, or it's good or it's bad. And uh, when I was uh, actually just getting into uh, the early years of consulting, uh, one of the big banks in Canada wanted me to do a number of programs, but they really wanted me to integrate this framework um, from uh, Dr. Barry Johnson called polarity management. So, you know, what that meant is I had to get equipped in that pretty quickly. So, I mean, Barry's become probably the biggest mentor in my life, uh, but you know, that meant I immediately went to get trained in this and it was the first, and again, there's lots of different frameworks around this, but it was the first time that I came face to face that, you know, there are unsolvable problems there. And, and not only do they exist, I've got so many of them in my life. I've just never named them. I've never been comfortable with the fact that it's okay that this isn't either or, and it's okay that some things, the worst thing I can do is pick a side. What I want to do is actually hold things in, in balance and tension. That was a completely, you know, it's funny because I, I went to get trained in this framework, but probably the very first day of, you know, getting in, introduced to this, I, I recognized at a heart level, listen, because this is, this is big. And I mean, it's been life changing for me. I mean, it's resulted in all of my research career writing, kind of focusing on this. What's interesting, Jeff, is that I work with leaders of all sorts in all corners of the world. Rarely do I come across a leader who's poor at problem solving. Yeah. But we're very underdeveloped in our ability to recognize and manage tensions well. And when you see someone, again, whether they call it healthy tension or not, if you see someone that, again, solves problems well, but they also can identify and make tension safe to lean into, you know, like a riptide, to ride and leverage, yeah. they stand out from the pack. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even just liberating the conversation that those tensions exist, I, I'm all, I've already been thinking about all of the times where I have that conflict and I don't, I don't mention it to the person I'm having it with as an example, why I'm torn between one thing or one or, or another, one action or this action. And so I can already see how that would start to enhance cohesiveness, trust, collaboration, communication. Well, sure. And, and you're feeling it already. And, and I should say, this isn't just a work thing. You know, I, you know, my partner, Becky and I, when it comes to parenting, I hang out pretty hard on the structure side. You know, I'm married to someone who naturally has a disposition towards flexibility. That can result in lots of conflict. Yeah. It also can result in really effective parenting when we 
get beyond choosing sides and say, how do those things live together? Yeah. Because you know what? As a parent, if I get my structured way all the time, no one wins. Certainly yeah. not my kids. Yeah. But if I lose this and say, okay, we'll just jump on the other side, it's a lose-lose. Yeah. So they, they show up in all elements of life. And you know, whether I was in organizations working or working with organizations, there's always a short list of one or two that you, know, you may not have named it, but as soon as you name it, it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, we wrestle with that all the time. Absolutely. So if, uh, if the audience is anything like me at this point, you're probably thinking, okay, this makes sense. I have experienced this before. I didn't know what it was, but now that I'm getting a sense for that, how do I actually start to uh, ride the waves and, and use the riptides to my advantage? So I know we have a visual on your four point, uh, your four part framework. Let's bring that up. And I also want to remind everybody tuning in right now to get your questions in for Tim. So if you have some questions, no such thing as a silly question, put them in the Q&A box, and, which is different than the chat box. And I'll get to as many of your questions as I can throughout the remainder of the episode. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say, I hope in an encouraging way, is to determine that you're going to be a leader or your organization is going to, instead of ignoring or avoiding tension, embrace um, there's really simple ways you can do it. And, you know, I talk about four things that help. The nice thing is you don't even have to do all four. Just pick one. It will make a difference. Uh, and, you know, probably it would, in our time today, be worth at least talking about the first two steps. Yeah. If you did nothing beyond the first step, I guarantee you it will make a quick and significant difference. And, you know, I mentioned the term identify your crux tension. Yeah. And, you know, anyone who's tuning in today, I'd say, think about not just what I'm saying, but how does that apply to you? Because it does. I guarantee it. Crux tension is actually, I'm pulling from a, a rock climbing term. So for anyone who's rock climbed before, if you go to a, a good climbing area anywhere in the world, generally you research it ahead of time. And once you're there, you've identified one or two climbs that you just got to try. So you know you've made it to that climb because there's lots of local climbers around. So you go up to a climber and you say, okay, I'm going to try this. What's the crux move? Generally, what that means is, you know what, between where I'm standing on the ground and where I want to go, maybe 100 feet in the air, there's a lot of moves I have to make. Hand holds, foot holds, body movements. But there's probably only one or two that really matter. And if, if you can point that out to me, and I can just put all my energy and my focus into that crux move, yeah. I don't have to worry about the rest. And, and it works. What's really cool is the exact same phenomenon or idea is true with tensions. You'd be quite taken back if I showed you a bit of research behind the list of tensions you're already managing as a leader. It's long. I mean, yeah. there's, you know, I would say at least 50. You yeah. may not have named them, but you're managing them. And yeah. it's not helpful for me to just give you that list and say, good luck. And two things. One, you wouldn't be listening today if you weren't doing okay at it. Yeah. But I'll say this, out of that list of 30, 40, 50 tensions that you're managing, there's probably only one or two that are make it or break it for you. Meaning that, and it doesn't mean you're necessarily managing it poorly or well, it just means that, you know what, there's not a day goes by that we're not wrestling with this on some level. Yeah. You know, I, and it's at all types of organizations. I, you know, I worked with the United Nations for a number of years and, you know, we had 55 nation states in the room and constantly we had to be mindful of the fact we're here for centralized coordination i worked with nuclear so it was around safeguards and and you know nuclear rules 
But centralized coordination will never work if we don't also address decentralized freedom. You know, you have countries like Canada saying, hey, we want centralized coordination, but we also want freedom to use nuclear for medicine and for energy. Well, that either is going to be, and again, that room felt that tension every single time they were together. Yeah. But once we named it and said, gang, this isn't going away. So we're either going to let this centralized, decentralized tension divide us, or we're going to actually say, no, it's and. It's not either or, it's both and. And we're going to work hard to manage this tension well. Yeah, boy, that's, I, that's powerful, Tim. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm even relating it back to we're in the middle right now of our own leadership team meeting for our, our three to five year strategic planning. Uh, we did day one yesterday and having this, this discussion about innovation and discomfort versus measuring things and structure. And it's, it's, uh, they're not easy to navigate, but if you name them and get them out on the table, I already feel a bit of a sense of relief. Well, and what's interesting is, you know, there's a few, and we even say strategic planning, I can say, I hope that you as a group were saying, gang, you know, let's realize that there's a few things at play right now. We got to look at short term and long term, and and both of those have to be honored, or this will work. It's like inhaling and holding it. It's going to not work long term. You know, we want to talk about certainly structure around this plan, but what are we going to do to allow for the flexibility that's needed for the next pandemic <laughs> or for the next whatever? Like, and it's not that we have to pick sides. If we really want to, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great talked a lot about the same concept. And he said, you know, organizations that outperform everyone around them, and in his work, it was for 50 years or more, generally have learned to embrace the genius of the and. Yeah. You know, they stop getting caught up in the tyranny of the or, believing that everything is binary, everything we have to pick aside. And it started with leaders. Yeah. They made it safe for their organization to say, no, it's not one or the other. We're going to live in this place of healthy tension. Yeah. So you've, Tim, you've worked with, you know, thousands of companies and, and, and thousands of leaders. What are some of the more, I guess, common tensions that you come across? Sure. And I'll, I'll, I'll go through a few with you. I will yeah. say though, let language matters. So the way that I would name attention may not work for you, but it's probably yeah. in the same ballpark. You're like, Oh yeah, I get that. But we call it this know that language does matter. Um, but I do have a list. I've got a short list of 10 that I would say in almost every organization I worked with, whether it was a tech startup, uh, you know, a hospital, a not-for-profit, some manifestation of these show up. You know, planning and execution, focus on part, focus on the whole. You know, right now it's an interesting one with social distancing. You know, a lot of us are super task focused, but how are we also maintaining relationships? You know, another one, and we'll talk probably about this later, but, you know, in the, in the COVID reality, everyone's talking about their pivot strategy. How am I changing? How am I innovating? And I would say yes. And what are you holding on to at all costs? What are you going to make sure two years from now, you're not going to look back and say, oh man, we lost that change and stability. This is just a, a list that I'd say, Again, maybe not the exact words you'd use, but I bet you get these, you know? And even out of this list, Jeff, I'd say, don't worry then about 10 of them, pick one or two. Yeah. And make that common language in your teams to say, gang, the fact that we're feeling this is not a bad thing. I, I ran a, a team for 10 years 
And once we shortlisted, you know, the couple of tensions that we felt were our crux tensions, yeah. we actually, you know, made it common language. We, we were at a point where I would even say to new staff in orientation, you won't work a shift and not feel this. The, yeah. And it's a good thing. In fact, you know, if we're not feeling these tensions, someone else should be doing this work. Right. Like this is the business we're in. So don't, don't get excited about picking a side because that's the worst thing we could do. Yeah. Uh, there's a question from Derek that came in, Tim, and, and, it's, a, and it's a really important one. <clears throat> and the concept being very timely, uh, Derek says, in today's political and social context, but how do we apply this beyond just our own organization? Mm, well, wow, we could spend probably four or five more hours on that. I, I would say this, there's so much kind of science and even psychology behind why we struggle to manage tension. And I, I don't want to open up a can of worms I can't close. I would say a few things, though. You know, I already talked about the fact that we're conditioned to be problem solvers, which means we're raised to think that there's a right and wrong answer to most things, when in fact, that is the case in certain circumstances, policies, rules, procedures, history. But there's so many other complexities that we have to recognize. And it's a level of maturity, right? We're saying, yeah. That's not a problem to solve. That's a tension to manage. And I got to get comfortable with that. Yeah. The other thing that makes this really complex, and I'm sure lots of your, you know, gang today that's listening in has heard of this term confirmation bias. Yeah. Sometimes in Chris Arduous's work in, in uh, the fifth discipline or the, gosh, I got my books confused, but it's called the uh, reflexive loop. The idea is once <laughs> as humans, once we have beliefs or biases, we look for things to affirm those beliefs. So, you know, let's, let's get political. Once I'm maybe on the political right or political left, I'm probably gonna re read news sources and watch news feeds that affirm those biases. Yeah. Which means that I get more and more convinced of my point of view. And because I've been raised to be a problem solver, if someone has the point of view on the other side, I have to only assume that they're wrong. You know, so my goal is to pull them to my side instead of saying, is it possible that this isn't right or wrong? This is right or right, yeah. that there's truth on both sides. Yeah. And, you know, and, and right now, I mean, I literally this morning was going through some research on in the last 20 years uh, in North America specifically, how the percentage of which our culture has moved towards more binary thinking as opposed to less, yeah. meaning that significantly we've shifted towards believing in any tension there's a right side yeah. and again in some ways that's pretty discouraging the really cool thing is if you are brave enough to be in the few that says no way with some of now again i want to be clear there's still right and wrong and there's still good and bad in other situations though there's right and right and we refuse to just ignore the complexity instead we're going to embrace it you know, we're going to be a leader. We're going to be a person. I'm going to be an individual who's able to hold things in tension and not just find a tribe of people who affirm my beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. I came across an article last week, and I think we put it actually up on our social platforms uh, yesterday. I think it was posted to the results, uh, the results Twitter account. And it was the sort of the research says that if you're trying to bring somebody over to see your side of the argument, the more logic that you use and the stats that you use about your side of the argument, the, the less likely you are to sway them because they already know that information 
and it only strengthens their resolve and their existing beliefs. So if we want to start, if we want to try, try to find some kind of middle ground, uh, we have to speak in each other's language, uh, using each other's value speak. Do you have any commentary on that, Tim? Yeah, I, I, I talk a little bit, I think about what you're referring to and the language that I use is it's called a tug of war conversation. Yeah. And, you know, if you remember, Jeff, back to the days of tug of war, generally the only goal is to get the other side to your side. That's it. So what happens is if they pull, you pull harder. And, you know, we do this when we're having different points of view. Maybe, you know, I'll go back to the home situation. I'm feeling we need more structure and consistency at home. You know, my partner, Becky, feels, no, we need a bit more flexibility and individuality. So I explain to her kind of where I'm coming from and how she needs to get there. But I can tell you from experience, and I can give you a lot of research to back it up, the more I just explain my point of view and the downside of hers, and I think I'm getting her to come to my side, but I'm actually getting her pushing farther the opposite way, yeah. as opposed to having curiosity. And again, the, the, the interesting thing is we're talking about leaders who can manage the tension of being both confident and humble. Yeah. confident to say, Hey, here's what I see. Here's what I believe. Here's what I want to hold on to humble to know. And I'm always missing something. And I know that through this conversation, we're both going to see it clearer. And you know, I, that confidence and humility really comes from embracing curiosity. And it's one of the things, I mean, I, I have this rare opportunity to be in so many organizations. Curiosity is a rare thing. Confidence isn't folks can be super confident. But to be really curious, yeah, it's yeah. a competitive advantage. Yeah. Uh, the question comes in from Lisa. Thanks for joining us today, Lisa. Uh, what do you do with people's tensions when the perspectives are just so different and one side has no self-awareness or humility? So the language adaptation and effort just is not going to work. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm thinking of, of folks who... You know, I'll do a workshop and, and someone's like, this is great, but you don't know who I work with. <laughs> and I, I get that. I will say this. If you start with yourself and look for, even if their position, you'd say, no, I, I actually think that's wrong. But look at what are the interests that they're fighting for? You know, because a lot of times positions are based in sometimes confidence, sometimes fear. So what are they fighting for? And be curious to, again, not give up where you're coming from, but to say, hey, where's that coming from? You know, I, I hear you're saying that you really want this, but what's the interest behind it? You would be shocked at the openness that people that you thought were absolutely brick wall wouldn't budge will yeah. have if yeah. they truly feel listened to and they truly feel, not in a manipulative way, yeah. but they authentically feel you're trying to understand their point of view. Yeah. You know, people don't have to get their way so long as they truly believe that their ways being heard and trying to be factored into decision-making. Now, yeah. I know that there are people who don't fit that description. I'll tell you from my experience, they're by far the minority. Yeah. You know, people will often, I, I've seen this in coaching as well, folks that are just so kind of foot in the sand, I'm not moving. They feel like, wow, they're listening to me. They're trying to integrate this. You know, they're willing to kind of rise to a different level of conversation. So the good news is if you're a leader, you're a person who's saying, no, I'm going to really try to hold on to some of these principles of inviting yeah. people into tension. You'd be pretty shocked at the people who will take you up on that offer. Yeah. I know that there's a fatal mistake that I think a person can make in those kinds of conversations in that it's 
it's rushing to an assumption of what the other side values. And, and I, I have made that mistake so many times. And uh, rather than inquiring and asking good questions to confirm exactly what they value and not have to guess and assume, are there some questions that you have found that might work or, or some approaches to confirming that that work better than others? Yeah, there, there's a few things that I think are really, really helpful. I feel, you know, if I sense myself getting into a little bit of a tug of war conversation, you know, and I, I have a really close associate, we work together constantly on kind of where the business is going. Uh, you know, I'm very much, I want a crux tension for us is the tension of change and stability. And I'm very biased towards change. <laughs> I, I just, I get excited about it. I would, our website would be different every week if I was allowed. Like I just, that works for me. My, my, my colleague Claudia would be pretty solid on the stability side. And, you know, when I get fired up about an idea, often, you know, when I'm throwing it to her, what I sense immediately is kind of the tug of war resistance, which can, you know, in some ways be a downer for me. I, I'm like, oh, she doesn't get it. But what I've, what I've, what I've learned to do, and this is, it often feels mechanical and it becomes natural. Yeah. is if I'm sensing all of a sudden, wow, we're in a bit of a tug of war, there's a couple things that I'm going to try to discipline myself to do. One is to affirm, authentically affirm her values. So it's like, Claudia, as we're in this, first of all, I know that ultimately, if we don't stay the course with X, Y, and Z, no one's going to even know what we offer. And we're not going to be good at anything. Yeah. I also know, and here, Jeff, this, if you just do this, it's pretty game changing. Okay. I acknowledge the downside of my bias if I get my way all the time. So I'll say, and I also know, Claudia, that if, if we do this and everything else, this business is going to fall. I know that. Because what that does, it lets the other person recognize, oh, they assume you didn't know that. It's like, I know that. So there's a bit of a, I'm not trying to just pull you to my side. Then you have the opportunity to say, and, not but, and, and is the bridge building word. Yep. How do these two things live together? So how, what, how might we move forward with this opportunity, but in a way that doesn't explore that kind of downside of overdone change and ignore those values of stability that you, you see clearly and ultimately I want, how do we do that? Yeah. And you know, the normal tug of war is I just tell Claudia why she's overdone stability and why change is great. And as you say, all I've done is pushed her farther the other way. But if I can start by affirming what she values, and again, this has to be authentic. If this is a manipulative approach, forget it. But it's like, Claudia, and sometimes I'll even say, help me understand what, like, what you're pulling towards right now. I need to see that. And I want you to know, if I get my way around this all the time, we're in trouble. I get that. Yeah. Well, now all of a sudden, we're having a bit of a different kind of conversation. Yeah, that's helpful, Tim. Very, very helpful. And, I mean, if people uh, want to I... put this to the test, yeah. try it try it offline in the wild around politics. You know, yeah. if you're from the right or from the left, you know, the easy thing to do is believe that it's binary, you know, that one side's right, one side's wrong. Rise above that. And, and even with someone who you know is quite polarized from your point of view, look at what changes when you try to understand the values that they care about and yeah. also acknowledge the downside if your side gets its way all the time. Yeah. It will change the conversation. 
Wow, that is, uh, that is so helpful and so powerful. So uh, not just building better relationships with uh, people that you know, but uh, I think we've also just been handed the secrets to having good Twitter debates. So thank you for that, Tim. Well, I'm not convinced Twitter's the best way to do it, but I'll, I'll let you decide on that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, uh, and I was chuckling because I think uh, in some ways you described a similar relationship that I have with our show producer, Andrea. So uh, she's probably laughing behind the scenes as well. I can, I can only imagine our conversation uh, later today. The, uh, uh, the other thing that I wanted to, to explore with you, Tim, we had that list of, of some of the common tensions that we experience. And as I was looking at that list, I'm thinking, check, check, yes, 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 check. There's got to be a way to identify the one that is your crux. Uh, your crux tension and you talked about the mountain climbing example like how do we go about identifying what our crux tension is or, or are there's there's and I don't want to overcomplicate this I would say there's certain usually one or two crux tensions that are always they are just in the nature of your organization you know I talked about the UN decentralized freedom but centralized coordination well that will always be there I ran a 40 bed residential homeless shelter for a number of years you know, we recognized probably within the first month that our crux tension was unconditional acceptance, which means I don't care what you've done, what you do, what you'll do in the future, you will always be accepted. And that has to be held in tension with accountability consequences. And, and if we don't hold in tension, accountability and acceptance, we'll never care for each other. Yeah. Those ones surface pretty quick because it feels like they're the things you're always talking about. If there's something that divides your team in an ongoing way, it's always that thing. So, you know, you, and again, I think a good way to do it is take my list of 10 um, or again, I can, in the book, there's a list of 25, throw it to your team and say, let's meet next week. What are the three that you think are make it or break it for us? You will have some variety, but you'll, the themes will be super clear. Yeah. There's also, so that's, and, and what I would say is every organization will, will be able to break through levels of effectiveness if they can name that short list of one to three crux tensions and just make that a safe conversation. It's a, it's a language we all share. Yeah. It's something that we orient people on. There also is, and it wouldn't be necessarily a crux tension. It's almost like it's a seasonal tension to keep your on right now. So it's not like we have to worry about this forever. But as I said, right now, for example, in COVID, when everyone's talking about pivoting and changing and evolving, everything in me is saying, I hope people recognize that change and stability are attention to manage. And if all you do is pivot and change and and evolve without holding on to those core values and what you're known for and being an expert at something, it's as futile or as dangerous as inhaling and holding it. It just won't work long-term. So in any season, it's in, in you're talking about your strategic planning session. It's, it's almost a conversation to say, okay, gang, are there any tensions right now that we just really have to be mindful of? Yeah. You know, that we, we really need to, you know, I, I doing some work right now with a lot of leaders in uh, retirement and long-term care. And, and, you know, right now, the one that they're all dealing with is how on earth do we take care of ourselves when every waking hour is taking care of other people? Yeah. And we know that if I don't take care of myself, I'm never good to anyone, but I honestly don't know how to manage it right now. So we're saying, okay, for now, this is a tension that we're going to be vigilant to manage. And it, the nice thing, and I didn't mention this earlier, it doesn't have to be 50, 50. You know, I, 
how you manage in your organization change and stability could look very different than how we are. You know, and if I work for maybe Revenue Canada, they're probably very weighted on stability. You know, if I'm dealing with a tech startup, it's probably weighted heavily on change. It's not about proportions. It's, are we getting the values of both sides? Yeah. You know, structure and flexibility with my kids. It's not about meeting in the middle. It's, are we getting the values of structure and the values of flexibility? Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably a good time to remind people that may have joined a little bit late uh, that don't like to tune in for my intro, but just want to get to the heart of the speaker. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, we, um, we are giving away copies of Tim's book and there's two ways to win. Fill out the feedback form when the show is over. The second way is a lot more fun is to recognize somebody that has made a difference in your life and recognize them publicly on social media, tag them if they have an account, mention them by name if they don't. And use the hashtag results unleashed and for every post that you make you will get an entry uh, into the draw to win tim's book tim is also offering up a really really impactful workshop to folks that want to take this back to their teams and and uh, and uh, get a little bit more intentional about uh, about working this so thank you for that tim now you you, you hit on one of the pandemic related uh, tensions that we're seeing the care for others versus care of self the, another one that you and i spoke about was being truthful versus being tactful. And I thought that was a really, really interesting one. Could you maybe explain how you see that one show up right now? And then how do we stay true to our core values and manage that kind of attention? Yeah, and truth and tact, or sometimes that's referred to as like being candid and clear at the same time being, you know, diplomatic and relational. You know, every leader manages that tension every day. Every email I write, every presentation I give, I have to be truthful and tactful. What's interesting is most people, the vast majority of people, lean one side over the other. And that's fine. I mean, I lean pretty hard on the truth candor side. My coworker, Claudia, is very strong on the diplomatic relational side. It's not about changing who you are or your bias, but it's about what's called embracing your opposite. So, you know, what would be easy is, Jeff, if you're also kind of a candor truth person and we're together, you know, and, and like you, I write hundreds of emails a day, but we all write that one email where we're like, hmm, you know what, this one matters. So I'm like, as a truth kind of candid person, I better have one other person read it because sometimes my emails don't go the way I think they will. But because, again, I said earlier, that confirmation bias, we got to look for things to affirm our point of view. Instead of going to Claudia, who sees things from the other side, I go to you. So I'm like, oh, Jeff and I, we just work so well together. We yeah. click, you know, you look at my email, and I'm like, Tim, well done, really effective, you know? So I send it and the next day we both can't believe how those people took it, you know? Yeah. As opposed to saying, you know what? I don't really need Jeff to read my emails because we're already on the same side. I need Claudia to read my emails. Yeah. And that email, and I mean, the interesting thing, I talk in the book about going slow to go fast. If I took five minutes, to get Claudia to read that email, it may have saved me five hours of cleanup meetings I never had to have. Yeah. And, and, and the idea is the best way that you manage tensions in a team setting isn't by changing who you are. Embrace your biases, embrace yeah. your point of views, but also embrace your opposite. And you know, we're, I'm Canadian, Canada does tolerance well. We like tolerance. Tolerance doesn't cut it here. Embrace yeah. literally means to hug. It means I need your perspective. And you know, if you're in a team setting, you've identified that crux tension, I'd say, okay, also say, where do we lean 
And how are we embracing that other side? Not to give up. And, and maybe, you know, I know time is ticking here. Something to be thinking about as we start to, to land the plane. Problem solving makes us think that if I embrace my opposite, I have to give up what I care about. We're not talking about exchanging my point of view for the other. We're talking about expanding. You know what? I'm going to hold on to my values and I'm going to expand to integrate a perspective that makes it even stronger. Yeah. And we're not, we're not leaving here to go there. You know, in organizations, we often make that pendulum swing mistake. Well, change isn't working, so we're going to be stable. Well, no. How do we hold on to what's working about change and integrate the foundations of values and stability? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, Adam, Adam Grant actually talks a lot about oftentimes we insulate ourselves. So we think that our, our network is the people that prop us up and support us and pat us on the back. And he's pretty adamant to say that you, it's just as important to have what he calls a challenge network. And it's like, okay, that's hard to do. But anytime somebody gives me um, um, feedback that's different, to what I would normally, or, or has a view that's different than mine or says, Jeff, did you know this is a bit of a blind spot for you? I hate that moment, but I love what happens after. <laughs> and so it takes a ton of courage, but I, I, I just couldn't agree more with what you're saying right now. Well, and I, I actually think if I'm remembering correctly, I think Grant uses the term, we want cheerleaders, but we need challengers. Yeah. And again, intuitively, I think we want that, that pat on the back, but great. That makes us feel good. It doesn't help us. What we need is that. And again, it has to come from, and, and the teams that I've worked in and with that just outperform anyone around them. Again, instead of having these meetings where everyone nods their head and, you know, is polite. And, but then after the meeting, the real meeting happens. And that's when I find people who share my point of view and we really have it. No, the opposite. They say, no, let's bring it to the table. Let's bring it to the zoom call. I know that people have lots of different opinions and are all over the spectrum. Let's actually lean into that so we can make informed decisions so yeah. that we're seeing not just my truth, but the whole truth. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. The, the, the pandemic has, has brought something different for, for everyone. I'm wondering, Tim, from your perspective, what are, what are some of the silver linings that you've seen throughout the last four months from people, things that have surprised you, caught your attention? Anything in, in those sort of buckets that, uh, that you'd want to share with us? Yeah, I, maybe I'll just speak personally. I mean, I, I, I can anecdotally talk about things, but I would say a few things for me. Uh, I think there's a few tensions that, you know, as the author of the book, Healthy Tension, I thought were okay and I recognize can be a lot more healthy. Uh, one for me is the tension between expectations and grace. I do the expectations side really well. I have high expectations on myself. I have high expectations on others. I don't do the grace side as well. And what I've learned and I'm learning in these last few months is that expectations without grace, first of all, make me a pretty unhappy person um, and make me a person that other people don't want to work with. And I don't have to give up expectations to integrate grace and understanding and unconditional acceptance. Actually, it actually allows me to have higher expectations. So I, I, I've known that tension existed. I've experienced it at a whole new level. Um, and, uh, and I think just another one, you know, one of the tensions every single person manages all the time is work and home. And, you know, this pandemic has kind of disrupted it completely. So however you were managing it three months ago probably looks different now. 
And in some ways, I think it's given us the opportunity to say, well, what does healthy work home look like? You know, and not, not as a formula of I'm done at five and it, but like, what are the values of work that I don't want to let go of, whether I'm home or in an office? Also, what am I learning or some values of home that I just really want to embrace right now? And I, I think it's, it's given us the opportunity to stand back and kind of assess how healthy was it. And not that I have a total do-over, but I got an opportunity right now to manage this tension in a new way. So let's stop using word language like back to normal and start thinking about what's the new normal and what am I going to do to make sure that that's something I'm, I'm feeling pretty proud of. Uh, thank you for sharing that. I, that grace part really hits me. <laughs> I feel that. What's your, what's your hope for the future of leadership? I mean, you make a big impact on people's lives, Tim. What are you, what are you seeing out there and, and what's your, what's your wish and, and your hope for leadership? No, I, Again, it's, it's very much a realistic, optimistic tension to manage because right now I feel like it'd be easy to say, wow, our world is getting more polarized. You know, we're playing into, you know, the trick, tricks of social media and news sources that, you know, are forcing us to pick a side. And I do think that that's real to some level. I do believe, though, similar to inhaling and holding it, there's a point where you have to exhale. And... I believe right now, and I'm seeing it most in organizations with the younger generation, they're just recognizing this isn't working. This pick a side, you know, find your camp, hang out. It's just not working. Whether you're talking politics, you know, whether you're talking about, um, you know, workplace culture, I believe, and maybe I'm looking for it, but I believe that more and more people are just not okay with the way things are right now and are actually going to force, you know, maybe the older generations, I don't know where I fall in that, but to get away from either or thinking and just say, gang, it's time to embrace this and thinking. Again, whether they use that language or even grasp what we're talking about, they're living it. They're saying there's just, this is not okay. You know, generations ago, it was the, you know, it was a generation that deconstructed the boomers kind of Canadian or American dream. It's like, that's not the dream. And they disrupted that on a lot a lot of levels. I think right now, I think there's a, a rising that's happening to say this whole like either or political world and either or social world, it's not working. And I do believe that it's going to change. Yeah. I also think people who want to be on the forefront of that, it takes courage. And I think it's, it's, you, you're going to be able to look back and say, wow, I was able to be part of that movement, you know, yeah definitely helped my organization, helped maybe my leadership, but I actually think the world right now needs more leaders that can live in that both and space. Yeah, that's very well said, Tim. Uh, I just want to, I want to thank you for, uh, for joining us today. And I, I just want to thank you for the, the meaningful work that you do. And when we, when we launched this, uh, this series, we said it needed to do, uh, it needed to do two things, teach people something new, or make people look at something familiar with a completely different perspective. And I think I can confidently say you've done both of those things today, Tim. Uh, and uh, this brings us to the close of, uh, of our final episode of season one. And uh, I would be remiss if I didn't do a little bit of reflection and, and uh, retrospection here. And I, uh, I want to thank our entire team. You know, four months ago when the pandemic hit, we jumped on a call at eight in the morning as an entire team spread out across Western Canada 
and we were reeling and we shared our emotions. We shared our thoughts, our ideas, our opinions. Uh, we talked about the things that scared us the most, the things that we were fearful about. And uh, we had no idea what this impact was going to be on the world, on people, on our business, on our careers, on our livelihoods. And um, every single one of our people stepped up and they have been so courageous. They have been so strong. They have given of themselves to anybody that, that can use their help and their guidance. And I, uh, I just can't think of a, um, a better place that I could have ever hoped to have been than with this group of people. And, and by extension of that, Tim, we generated a bunch of ideas. This was one of them. And the ideas are only as good as the people that decide to jump on board with them. And so for every single person that has tuned in, the audience, whether you saw five minutes or you saw you know, 15 hours of content, Thank you so much. You've spread the word. You've joined us. You've propped us up. You've given us confidence. And if we didn't have speakers like Tim Arnold, we wouldn't have much to talk about. So well, we'd have lots to talk about. I don't know if anybody would show up. But uh, Tim, you've helped to make and fortify uh, season one as a, as a huge success by every metric. So thank you so much for your, your dedication to what you do and, and sharing a snippet of that with us today. Uh, so let's stay connected. We're taking a break for the summer. We'll be back for season two on September 10th. We've already been booking some interesting, really interesting thought leaders and speakers and authors. You can follow us uh, on, uh, follow Tim on Twitter and us, but follow Tim on Twitter at TimArnold1. And you can email us anytime at info1unleashedresults.com. Tim's got a great website, leadersforleaders.ca. What a great, uh, what a great URL. Uh, fill out the feedback survey as well. So when you leave the meeting, click the leave meeting button. And then, of course, uh, click the continue button to fill out the important feedback. We're also offering up, so if you're going to train yourself up during the summer, we've got a four-part leaders toolkit workshop that we're offering. It's four two-hour workshops on some of the fundamentals of being a really effective leader, cultural chemistry, culture of accountability, running effective meetings in person and virtually, and then giving and receiving feedback. And we're, uh, we're offering that, of course, at a special price right now, just based on current situations. And then Tim has got an, a really awesome workshop called Leaders for Leaders, a virtual team building and leadership development opportunity here, talking about leadership resiliency, building a high-performing team. Uh, he inserts the EQ edge, and then he's able to customize the training, and you can actually choose from 18 modules within these pillars, and he'll deliver an interactive workshop, a private workshop, that allows your team to actually dive into some of the topics that we explored today. So you can apply those to your leadership capabilities on a go forward basis. And it's really life changing, not just for business, but for your personal life. And as we mentioned, stay tuned. So I'm very proud to see that roster of speakers there. We'll be back in September. We'll be here before we know it. And uh, lots will change between now and then. But the one thing that'll be that will remain constant is we'll always be here for uh, humble, ambitious, open-minded leaders that have a growth mindset. And as long as you think we're useful, we're going to keep putting content out there that we think will be useful for you. So be well, everybody. Take care. Uh, don't forget to mention someone that made a difference on your life on social media for a chance to win Tim's book. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks, gang.